Sixer Nation, what is good? Welcome on in to a nightly Sixers roundtable discussion. We are back updating you on everything regarding this team. We're going to talk about Doc Rivers, Joel Embiid, the return of James Harden when it could happen, how we should feel about this team. Only 14 games in, but a lot has happened, to say the least. Uh, welcome on into the show. We are broadcasting live on three channels, Philly Take with RB, Running Back Philly, and Pick Swap Media. Joined by my guys, man. It's been a long time, but we're back, and I'm excited to dive into it, man. DJ Eastwood, Running Back Philly, Sean Bernard, Pick Swap Podcast. How you guys doing, man? How are we feeling tonight? Yeah, you know, same old Sixers floating along, floating along. Feels like we're starting to get a little bit of a positive turn. So I guess I'm looking at it positive, but uh, I'm ready to chat it up. Uh, yeah, doing good, man. Doing good. Um, the Sixers are back, so that's good. I was bored all summer, so at least I have basketball to watch. I've been pleasantly, not pleasantly, I've been surprisingly, uh, underwhelmed so far. But you know, it is what it is. Uh. Drama still brings the views, so we're still here. <laughs> it's crazy, man. It's crazy. Another year back at it. Feels like the same old thing. Right now, the Sixers are seven and seven, uh, but we're gonna break it all down because it's not just like your normal team going seven and seven. Like I feel like there's been so many steps getting up to this point, and yet we are what a one fourth of the season in. Like it's just crazy. Philly sports are a never ending cycle. It it just never stops. Uh, but yeah, I appreciate you guys coming on. And, and once again, we're live on three channels. So hit the like button wherever you're watching and subscribe. Because nonetheless, doesn't matter if other platforms are going down. It doesn't matter if people are freaking out on the internet. We will still be here delivering the content. So Sixer Nation, uh, drop a comment in the chat. Let us know how you're feeling. One word. How are you feeling about this Sixers team right now? And uh, yeah, I'm excited oh, to get into it. Man. One word. They only get one word only to say one how they're word. feeling. <laughs> only one word. Only one word right now. <laughs> and then we'll we'll dive into it more, man. But yeah, I guess we'll start by by just talking about how we feel. Cause I, I can tell you for sure, myself included, all of us on this panel, as we talked leading up to the season, we did not expect to start this way. I don't think anybody expected this. Um, seven and seven right now. Sixers won the last two games. Joel Embiid went absolutely heroic mode and put up maybe the best game I've ever seen with my own two eyes. The Sixers squeaked out a win against the Jazz. And we won two. We've had four days off, which is another weird thing just to add on. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, why do we have four days off in a my row? My mom texted me and asked me that. She was like, where are the Sixers at? <laughs> yeah, four days in a row, like just in the beginning of the season. But then here we are, and... You know, Sixers have a tough game tomorrow night against the Milwaukee Bucks. Then they play the Timberwolves, and then the uh, the glamorous return of Ben Simmons and the Brooklyn Nets to the to uh, to the Wells Fargo to play the Sixers. So, anyway, here we are. Here we are. Um, how are we feeling about the team, guys? Like, what in your opinion are you surprised about the start? What you know? Why are you surprised? And essentially, like, like where are you at? What is your state of mind regarding this team? Is it time to panic? Is it time to be patient? Where are we at? Sean, we'll, we'll, we'll go to you first. 
Yeah, I don't think it's time to panic. I'll say I've been encouraged in recent play. It feels like I definitely wasn't expecting these slow starts to the season, and it wasn't just kind of the the losing games. It was the way they lost games that concerned me, which is kind of not having the intensity on defense, uh, the new addition, just kind of not really clicking in the way that it was expected. And I won't say I'm crazy underwhelmed by that because I've seen a lot of them, and for the most part, outside of Montrez Harrell, who I do think has been disappointing. Outside of that, I've said these guys have kind of been who they've been. I've been very impressed with the Anthony Melton, but I guess it kind of feels like we're at the same spot where we bring in all these guys, try to do all these things. And at the end of the day, it's how good is Joel Embiid is whether we win or not on a nightly basis. And that's kind of been disappointing to see. It's good to see him wake up from kind of whatever was going on to start of the season, whether it was fitness, injury, illness, whatever. Uh, obviously the the biggest storyline I think is the, the Harden Embiid relationship. We kind of saw the beginning of the season, Harden do his thing without Embiid, Embiid not playing like himself. Then we see Embiid kind of doing his thing. And like you said, playing the best, I would say the best individual performance that I've ever seen from a player uh, just to purely win a game against the Utah Jazz who are, who are not supposed to be in this kind of competitive nature. So there's definitely some concerns, but I'm still taking it on the upswing. They've looked better these past couple of days. And I do think there's something positive about kind of Embiid finding his stride and then bringing Harden back in the mix for things to click. Yeah. Um, Sean, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you went positive right off the bat. This is, uh, what I was, this is what I've been waiting for all day. Look, all it's day. I, I I went through this so after after the end of last season, I, I I got so bored in the summer that I started to lie to myself uh, leading up to this season, uh, and I knew I was lying to myself. There's a major problem, and it it, it is it is the man in charge, um, and. Uh, they the Sixers can get it back to be to being competitive. They can make this a fun season, but if we're talking about winning an NBA championship, it's flat out just not going to happen with with Doc Rivers and some of this some of some of these roster pieces that seem like they don't fit. Or maybe it's the system. Maybe a, a different energy and a different voice will get more out of these guys. But I'm just seeing too many things that look like they don't make sense and don't fit. And I just don't have a great feeling about it whatsoever moving forward. Um, we were the problem is every time we get close, every time they lose a couple of really bad ones, and it's clearly Doc Rivers into the third quarter. Why'd you play George Niang at center? Uh, and he, I feel like it's on the verge of of something really happening. And Joel, you know, drops a sixty point quadruple double and saves his job. So yeah, <laughs> but I don't mean to be super negative. But I'm if I'm being totally honest. If I'm being totally honest, something major has to change because or we're just going to coast through this season and the same thing's going to happen. I love it, man. And and I didn't even get to go yet. And it what these two just did right now, it literally shows how the Sixers fan base is feeling. Like, I don't know how to feel. I didn't yeah. think at this point I wouldn't know how to feel. You know, a couple games ago, I thought, okay, one more bad performance and it's goodbye, Doc Rivers. Like, the team needs a shakeup. Then Joel Embiid goes off for an astronomical performance and somehow we find a way to win two games. We're back. Then I remember, oh, James Harden's out. I mean, he's looked fantastic when he's been in the game. Then I remember, oh, you know, Isaiah Joe and Charles Bassey got let go for nothing, and, you know, we're, we have a roster spot open. So, like, there's just so many thoughts going on with the Sixers team, and that's the reason I love talking about the team. This is, like, therapeutic for me because I don't mm -hmm. know how to feel. I don't – if you were to ask me right now, am, should I panic or be – you know, preaching the patience, I really don't know because we could go out tomorrow and get whooped and then lose maybe to the Timberwolves who haven't been playing well, or uh, please don't lose to the Nets. But if we lose to the Nets, I mean, 
people are going to be jumping off the cliff. Maybe that's just how the Philly fan base is. But then at the same time, we win maybe the next three, right? If we win two of the next three, all three, then maybe we're back on track and we're 10 and seven. And like, you know, maybe you can get the season righted. So I just don't know how to feel right now. I think there's been so many weird things. And without going on too long, maybe we just need to turn that initial corner. That's my positive hope right there. Like Joel Embiid wasn't in shape for some reason. Harden got the injury out of the way. Maybe we can get better going forward, but maybe not. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when, yeah. when, when uh, I'm going to be honest, when you texted me and, and said, uh, should we panic? I, I was confused because I, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if I would put the word panic on it because like what I said we should do at the end of last season, none of it happened. So I'm, Realistically, I'm not really shocked by what's happening right now. I said, I said we need to trade Tobias Harris, trade Matisse Thibel, fire Doc Rivers. You need to get younger, more athletic. <laughs> we didn't but, do any of that. We but, didn't do any of that. Sean just said time. Sean's tweet that was retweeted, it was replied to by Daryl Morey. By the way, everyone, <laughs> Shout out to the Sean. Sixers are what the fifth, the slowest team in the NBA, and uh, second the other way around. Second- Second smallest and fifth fifth heaviest. Second to, or yeah, second to last in height and fifth in weight. Yeah. And these these were that's my pro that's my problem. All the things we did didn't actually change that because that was probably a statistic last year. We were the shortest and the slowest and the heaviest. And we still are. It doesn't make sense. It's not modern day NBA. It's just not. To be fair though, you know, coming into this season, the off season, the shows we had, like the content we're putting out. I mean, we were calling this maybe the best up to down roster that the Sixers have had. So, you know, at, at the same time, it's like we did upgrade, though, in different areas. Like, we got more pieces. The problem is, you know, they came out for the first five games of the season. They didn't look like they wanted to play basketball. Like, yeah. it looked like there was literally no voice in the locker room, in my opinion. Like, that, you know, people out there right now are saying we got older, you know, we're done. I, I don't I don't believe that. I think we have talent on the team. I just... Like you said before, we're kind of stuck in the mud. We're at a standstill, and it's like, how many different roster combinations? How many different pieces are we going to try? How many are we going to let walk away out of our own two hands before we realize, you know, maybe the yeah. problems are a little bit higher, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to, to touch on a couple of things. So first off, the I will point out the, the one move that has super stood out to me is Anthony Melton. I think he's been terrific and speaks to what DJ is saying about being more athletic, getting younger. That's been Melton in a nutshell, and he's been awesome. And it, I think it's especially important balancing him with the backcourt of uh, Maxie and Harden, who have their own defensive deficiencies for different reasons. Uh, so I think adding him to the mix is good. But looking beyond that, like the Matisse Thibel thing's so weird to me because I think it's it's very clear that he doesn't have a, a long term kind of fit with the Sixers franchise, and he frankly has gotten worse in his time in the NBA. The the shot hasn't developed, the confidence isn't there. But then at the to that same figure, like we go the first five games, he plays under six minutes, and now he's starting these past couple games. And it's like, so if this guy doesn't have a place, you're either gonna showcase him enough to trade him and try and get something like that, or like like what are we doing here? So that hasn't made any sense to me with kind of that transaction transaction and how they're handling it. And I also like I, I I feel like he might end up sticking in the starting lineup from how things are looking. Do you guys think that could be the case? Yep. Yep. And I, and I put out on my video yesterday, which people were frustrated about. We're going to get the PJ Tucker later on. That's a whole different topic of conversation, but going off the stats, like I broke down each lineup's efficiency and it's weird. I don't know why, but PJ Tucker and Thibel, that, you know, starting lineup 
has completely outplayed every other starting lineup that we've had. Like our defensive rating is like 30 points lower than the rest. And uh, our net rating is like 34.7 or something. So, you know, again, I'm not an all about the numbers guy, but that one really stood out compared to the rest. Like maybe it's because Embiid has more space or it's a more comfortable fit, but I agree with you. I, I do think we're going to stick with that lineup and I think Melton will come off the bench. Yeah, the Matisse Thibault has been so hard to gauge, and I imagine it's hard to gauge as a coach too because he's so impactful defensively. And then you see the other side of the court, and you're, and, and you know, if you had two different, if you had somebody just watching the defense and somebody watching the offense, the guy that's watching the offense would say, We can't play this guy. And the guy watching the defense would be like, We have to play this guy. It's so like polar opposites. And it's hard for me to gauge it. Does his does his defense outweigh his lack of offense? Uh, you know, I just if he could shoot mid thirty percent from three, that's all you gotta do. Don't ever you yeah. know dribble the ball. He did throw an alley oop to Tobias Harris the other night, which I I almost passed out. <laughs> it was like beautiful, perfect. I was like, what just happened? But yeah, I mean, all he really has to do is catch the ball and shoot it at a decent percentage, and then he can be on the floor. But if he can't do that against great defensive teams you can't be on the floor so it's tough it's tough with Matisse Thibel you're 100 percent right and my issue is is that we've been having this conversation for way too long we've had <laughs> too many athletes too many players this will probably open another can of worms let us know what you guys think in the chat but there's just a real lack of accountability I thought Doc Rivers was going to be the guy to fix that I got to be honest with you guys as well as I think Matisse Thibel has played defensively like I I kind of see him getting back into that higher IQ defensive zone sometimes like that mode that he can lock into and go get three steals at a time. I'm not even happy with Matisse Thibel because there was one game where I think he went 2 for 4 from 3. And and I literally tweeted it out after one of the games. I said, "Has Matisse Thibel even taken a jump shot since that game? I think he's taken one." Like how, and it goes back to what Sean said like he didn't play the first five games of the year, so there was no plan whatsoever. Then he came mm -hmm. in and provided a spark, and he's playing 25 minutes a night. And then he shoots a couple jump shots, hits a couple, and then doesn't shoot at all. Like, I don't understand where the accountability is. There's a developmental issue, and then there's a lack of accountability. Guys can go out there and just play freely and not shoot the ball or not do whatever, and they're still going to see minutes. I think that's a problem. I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Th this is a guy that argued with the media and told us that Ben Simmons doesn't have to score. He, you know, you guys are so unappreciative. You just can't look at the good things that he does. And we were like, this is nonsense. And everybody in the room thought it was nonsense. Everybody on the planet besides Doc Rivers thought it was nonsense. And it turned out to be not like we just continue to be right. He continues to be wrong. It's uh, it's crazy. But yeah, that's that's you know, there's no accountability. This guy wouldn't look at Ben Simmons and tell him to shoot the ball. At least Brett Brown was trying to get him to shoot it. Unreal. Unreal, man. Uh, shout out to Aaron with the $5 Super Chat. He says, I'm going to be real. If we lose in the second round again, or God forbid, before then, we have to blow it up and beat for Chet Gideon, like 18 first-round picks. Um, that's, that's an interesting topic, and I definitely want to hit back on that later. Shout out to Mr. Roddy Poo with the $5 Super Chat. says, I think this team suffers the most from the new take-foul rule. Our transition defense was already bad, but not being able to foul on turnovers hurts. That's a good point, actually. Uh, we've been like crazy slow and i mean part of it is the fact that we're a little bit older but but part of it i get i mean there's just not a lot of effort sometimes and and i feel like it's not even this year last year the year before sometimes we come out against 
the Orlando Magic and we're going down to the wire. Like, it shouldn't be like that. Good teams, teams that show their championship DNA, they handle the bad teams. They put them away at the end of the third, and then they ride out their cleanup crew for the rest of the game. Our cleanup crew has to come back in, cut a 20-point lead down to six, and then get benched with a minute to go and send us into a frenzy. That shouldn't happen with good teams. Yeah, it feels like this is a Sixers team that very much plays to the level of competition they face, which at times we see the best versions of that where they will pull up a win that we don't really expect and play to the moment and just rise to the occasion. And then we also see them when they play these kind of middling and below middle teams where they just struggle and they sink down to them. And even looking back before that Jazz game, the the game before the Hawks game, another game that the Sixers like this is it was in the prime time that I thought both these games were pretty crucial for the Doc Rivers job security. And B played the final 15-08 of that game straight through without hitting the bench. And that was a game where they were, like, kind of in control. Like, they ha- had them by a nice, like, 10-plus cushion, and they kept keeping them in, trying to get that dagger punch and put the game away, and it never happened. And that led to him just playing the entire end of third quarter and full fourth quarter and swing. And, like, as great as it is that to see him playing that well and get that time, it's like – that's just not a sustainable way to win throughout a season and to kind of be like riding on Joel's shoulders for the entire way. And I get like Harden's out. That's obviously a, a huge factor in this, but like we got to find other ways to score than just kind of the offense be like, give it to 21 and watch. Yep. DJ yeah, I was going to say, I was going to say something. I forget what I was going to say. Well, while you try to think of that, shout out to legendary with the $2 super chat. He says, Doc's trying to be the team dad and not the coach. You know what I'm starting to realize, fellas, and and it hit me earlier today, and maybe I'm off I'm off filter with this, but let me know. I'm starting to realize a coach can destroy a team, but sometimes you know maybe they don't matter as much as we think. Like they can destroy a team, but how much are they giving in excess of the team? Right? Like you have the team talent, you have to have the stars, you have to have the power, the manpower to you know be a, a quality team. And obviously, you got to draw plays. You got to make the right substitutions. I'm not, I'm not taking any way of importance for that. But look at the Celtics right now, right? Ime Udoka goes out, seamless transition to a 34 year old Joe Missoula who has never coached or been a head coach, excuse me. And that team's balling. Why? Because they just went to the finals. They know what it takes. They're tougher, they're more mature. And, you know, Joe Missoula is not doing anything to destruct the team. Doc Rivers does things to destruct the Sixers, but, you know, the guys love him. He's a player's coach. He stands up, whatever. But, you know, how much does a coach then, like, add benefit on top other than substitutions and drawing up plays at the end of a game? That's what I'm starting to wonder. Yeah, probably not. Probably probably being a likable guy and, you know, things like that and and being able to – get the players to buy in and all be like enjoy time around each other and things like that and work as one cohesive unit. I guess there's things like that, but I think you're right. An an NBA coach has to uh, not destroy the team more than he has to help the team. And I say this a lot. It's very simple. It's a five on five game. I'm, I'm not joking. When I say this, I could take a high school coach from down the street and give him the 2016 warriors and he wins an NBA championship. These these guys get on such a pedestal. They make so much money. They get so much attention. Their name is in lights. They then think they are Elon Musk of <laughs> basketball. They think they are a rocket scientist. I'm not saying Elon Musk is a rocket scientist. They they think that they're a genius. And then they overcomplicate the hell out of it, and they look past the obvious. Doc Rivers looks past the obvious. 
I've seen Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson did it with the Eagles. There's so many coaches I've seen look past just obvious things. Take a step back. A teacher told me in elementary school, KISS, keep it simple, stupid. Just, there's no way he looked past Charles Bassey. I'm, I'm so hung up on this, it's, it drives me nuts. There's no way he looked past it. And now we're playing a beat for 40 minutes, and like Sean just said, he played the last 15 minutes of a game because you don't have a backup center because you, what, like you, you were looking right at one. And yeah. Greg Popovich was like, yeah, I'll take him. And I'll show you how to use him, Doc. Now that, you know, you said last year you said you thought you were me or you think you're on my level. Let me have that player and show you actually how to, I mean, I don't know. What, what do you got to do? Tell him to go in the game? Is that like, that's all you got to do. Hey, get in the game. Now, Do, yeah, now yeah. Pop looks like a genius for telling the guy to go in the game. And and uh, on top of that, it wasn't just the Spurs. There were 22 teams that offered Charles Bassey some sort of contract following his release. So if that like doesn't give an indication, and also for Doc Rivers specifically, a guy who very clearly is not a fan of the way B-Ball Paul plays, and Montrez Harrell, also not a true center, a guy that's six seven and really is just small. Like he's not a small ball center. He's just undersized and and plays in the paint. And like if neither of those guys are your cup of tea, like. Charles Bassey's the most like normal center like in the world. Yes. Like, he does normal center things. He pick and rolls. He blocks shots. Like that's, if you're looking for a traditional kind of rim running shot blocking big man, like that is Charles Bassey. And and especially because he did show like flashes in the in the, the chances he did get the against the Nuggets, against the Bucks. Like there were there were moments last year in the brief chances he got that he looked good on the court. And he did just straight up dominate in the G League, made an all defensive team. Uh, I believe led the league in blocks, did a bunch of like ridiculous things, average 18 points a game. So it's like, it feels so frustrating to kind of like keep having these kind of same issues when the solution might have even been there. Charles Bassey made history within two games of leaving <laughs> the Philadelphia 76ers. And I mean, you know, you draft these guys and, you know, this is going to go back to an even higher issue with Daryl Morey, right? Because I don't think Morey's been perfect, but I will defend Daryl Morey when it comes down to it. And here's my my take for the people out there that say this is a Daryl Morey thing. He let Charles Bassey go. Do we not remember that Daryl Morey drafted Charles Bassey? He drafted Isaiah Joe. He drafted these guys and watches them get so put. Why didn't release them? Yeah, and and at the beginning of the offseason, I remember we all made content about it. Daryl Morey was like, "We're just going to go with the young centers, and you know we don't want to sign anybody." And I know people complain about Montrez Harrell. Here's the thing about Montrez Harrell. When you have the option to get an, a six to eight million dollar player a year guy for a minimum because he just kind of fell into your lap, any smart GM is going to make that move. Now, that doesn't mean a coach has to play him. Like, if he's not up to par, guess what? Bassey is the more ready player. Fine. You go with Charles Bassey. Like, this is a Doc Rivers thing. I'm not trying to pin everything on Doc Rivers, right, but, but it, it well, just makes no sense. And And another thing is like, these guys don't have any rhythm to them because Montrez plays for a couple games and then bat, and then um Paul Reed gets in for a couple games, then you don't see them. Like, how are these guys supposed to really get their feet under? That's my take on it. But what but how why do you think he was released though? Because Doc Rivers doesn't have the power to release a player, right? So how does I, it happen? How does Daryl Murray draft a player and and make comments in the offseason that we're gonna get younger or or rely more on the young guys? What do you think happened in that dynamic? Does Doc Rivers have that much power that he was like, no, I'm not playing him? And it, and Daryl was like, oh, I guess I have to let go of this guy that I clearly knew was an NBA center. That's why I drafted him. My, my personal take on that is what happened is 
you know, first off, you don't usually see a team go into a season with an open roster spot. Like, why Why did we do that? We could have kept Isaiah Joe for some shooting. We could have kept Bassey as a, you know, if we're not going to play him regularly, a spark plug, right? What I think happened is Doc Rivers said, there's going to be a lot of guys, you know, that we want to go after some vets, you know, at what, November, December, January, February. And when that opportunity becomes available, we want to have an open roster spot to sign them. That's personally what I believe happened because it just doesn't make sense. I remember we were saying, who's going to be the last roster cut? Who's going to be Isaiah Joe, Charles Bassey, traveling queen. He gets rid of all of them. These are guys you drafted. And it's not even like you tried to receive any value. Like you just said, how many teams had interest in Charles Bassey? Isaiah Joe right. goes to the thunder. He's winning a game in the fourth quarter. You yeah. can't tell me nobody saw no value in these guys. It, so it just what, doesn't make sense. So then what's Daryl Moore doing? He's sitting back and letting Doc ruin all of all of the things that he's trying to do? It just doesn't make sense at all. And, and that's where I am faulting Daryl Moore because I think he needs to, you know, without saying it a better way, like you, you kind of need to just step up and, and take your reign here and say, you know, I got these guys. Like we are going to do it this way. Like it, they are the better players. You know, when, when Doc went on that Paul Reed victory tour, that, that was my breaking point. That was it. You, you kind of demoralized a young player that just had a really good game going into the playoffs. That was the last game of the season. Like, Daryl Morey at some point, that's where I'm having an issue with him at this point. He needs to step up and say, you know, I went out and got more talent for this team. Either we utilize them or something has to change. By the yeah. way, Sean, before you go real quick, this happened in 2011 with the Boston Celtics. Danny Ainge, Doc Rivers. And Danny Ainge said, okay, you know what? You're out of here. And he traded him to the Orlando Magic, one of the only coaches to ever be traded in the NBA, Doc Rivers. Doc's been traded twice too, right? He was traded to the Clippers too, wasn't he? No, and I think I mean, he was fired from Orlando and hired by the Clippers. Or he was traded to the Clippers by ball. I forget. Yeah, I don't he was know. Traded. You might be right. And, and Sean, before you go, just one more quick thing, just because I, I thought about it just now, like, what are we doing with Jaden Springer? He's been back and forth from the Sixers to the G League about eight times now. He goes every single day. Jaden Springer's been recalled. Jaden Springer's been optioned to the G League. Like, what are we doing there? That's another first-round pick that will not play. And, you know, I mean, we could chalk it up for whatever reason, but I just think it's gotten to the point where if you are not of a certain age or of a certain experience, you're just not a Doc Rivers guy. As yeah. much, and, and Bassey showed potential, right? The game against Jokic, Giannis, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And that I has to change too. That, that's like Joe Paterno at Penn State. Like that has to change. The, the fifth, the fifth year guy would get on the field, and you knew the sophomore was the better player, and he just did not care, and nobody was changing his mind. That has to change. You got Luka Doncic playing professional basketball at sixteen years old. This, this, you don't have to be thirty-five years old to play professional basketball. It's ridiculous. Yeah, older older does not mean better all the time. Probably most of the time not, to be honest, when looking <laughs> at like this team specifically and what's needed. And like when you're kind of looking at the course of development around the NBA, you look at like teams like the Warriors, like I I'm not saying like Jaden Springer is ready by any means. I definitely don't think he is. I think he's like needs time, but you can still kind of put something on his plate. Like look at how the Warriors do it with guys like Kaminga and Moody. They come in, they say like, you have one job here. Wiseman even, who I don't even think is an NBA player, and they still continue to cut, find ways to give him time, so at least try and development. Like for Springer specifically, maybe it's like a your job here is just to guard this guy. Like come in here, play five minutes, just try the NBA level, get seasoned a little bit, get some experience. 
let's get, get get you progressing towards becoming a guy that we can utilize. And there's stuff like that. It feels like it's like all or nothing with Doc. Like you're either a rotation player or you can't cut it at all. And that, that shouldn't necessarily be the case. Like the Warriors were going 11, 12 deep in the playoffs last year, which is like unheard of. But they're rotating these guys in and just saying like, just do this one thing. And when you get good at that, then you add more and add more and build off that. And the Sixers have guys that are capable of that. With Paul Reed too, like we've, it's taken every like media member, fan, everybody smashing the table, like pounding for that to happen, for him to actually get a chance last year. And that like Paul Reed victory tour thing, I really do believe that was Doc Rivers. Like, here, go look at him. Like, he's not ready. I want you guys to see how not ready he is. And he goes and scores like 25 and 10 in his like one extended minute chance. So, yeah. and for the, the Doc Rivers and Paul Reed thing specifically, I really think the root of that is like Doc being dug in his corner of the first time he looked at Paul Reed, he decided, he cannot play NBA basketball. Like he's not my guy, not a guy that can do it. And Paul Reed, to his credit, still a guy that has a lot to work on and is far from a, a polished product. But like we said, like he's not going to get better just sitting on the bench. And Paul Reed has improved to some extent. But I think Doc's so dug in, like I want to be right rather than like pulling this. That mm-hmm. it, it hurts the team at times. So I don't know. There has to just be more done on a more like more fluent path to development than there is right now. You know what I don't understand and going to that point, like there, it was funny because I was live streaming a little baseline jumper and he air ball coming out of the game. Did not play the rest of the game. I think you're cutting in and out. At least on my end, you're cutting in and out. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? I didn't hear anything you said. All right. Sorry. Um, What I was saying is it was funny because I was live streaming a game and uh, Paul Reed, airballed a a jump shot from the baseline and i said i right then and there i was joking around kind of but i said he's coming out he's not playing and doc rivers pulled him and did not play him the rest of the game and it just goes back to what i said earlier about there's no rhythm like how do you expect matisse stiebel to develop and get in a, a rhythm in the rotation when he plays five games and then he doesn't play for three how do you expect Montrose harrell to to be an aggressor when he comes in and shows a bunch of energy for a game or two and then he doesn't play for two games because Paul Reed comes in. And I think the same thing happened with Bassey, and they showed potential at certain points, but there's no rhythm at all. And and somebody in the chat was talking about P.J. Tucker. You know, you're playing these guys 30, 35 minutes instead of giving other guys opportunity. Mm-hmm. Why not let them get into a rhythm? Why not let them see what they have? No guy, I mean, as anybody that played sports, you know, you play one game, you don't play the next. It gets to your head a little bit like, you can't go out there consistently and prepare like, okay, here's my role. And I think that's an issue with this team. Yeah, I got a, I got an example for you. I, like, I, I, I'm a, I agree with you. I can't figure out why Doc Rivers is so scared to play a young player. This is, these, these guys have played basketball their whole life. They can play basketball. They know how to play basketball. You can put them on the floor for five minutes. Here's a perfect example. A.J. Griffin of the Atlanta Hawks is 19 years old. He scored nine fourth quarter points against us. In, that, in one of those two games that we played the Hawks a couple of days ago last week. A.J. Griffin, 19 years old. 19-year-old rookie had nine fourth-quarter points against us. Isaiah Joe is 24 years old in his third season, and he, can't get on the, he couldn't get on the floor. It's insane. It doesn't make sense. These kids can play basketball. Put them on the floor. Yeah, and and then to kind of touch on that, looking around on the same Hawks team, Onyeka Nkongwu is another yep. guy who has similar fouling issues. Uh, Paul Reeds are still worse. And same with uh, Christian Coloco up in Toronto. Guys that, like, 
are very good, but like just are over the top when they're fouling and very similar to Reed. I think both these guys are a little bit more polished than Paul Reed, even though they're younger, but the same kind of principle of like, just play them through the growing pains. And uh, like, I don't think Paul Reed is necessarily the difference maker, but what I am confident is, is I don't think there's any chance Montrez Harrell can hold up in postseason minutes. So continuing to develop Paul Reed. So he might be able to be that guy is a better route than just kind of like, like Montrez Harrell is who he is at this point. He's not getting his feet any quicker. He's not moving any better on the perimeter as he like gets through this season. He is who he is. And he's a guy who doctors was literally fired for, for playing him too much in the playoffs with his time with the Clippers and blowing that three, one lead. So let's yeah. not let history repeat itself. Let's give some other looks and just try to see if we have a better option here. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, thinking that age and experience is the best thing like basketball is probably the worst thing to have that outlook on like age and experience is is that's correct maybe in like stock car racing you know what i mean like it, basketball is the worst thing to have that perspective on i have to play the older guy this is that's ridiculous you're gonna get smoked by but there's a reason there's 40 and over leagues you know what i mean because the 40 year old guys don't want to play with 18 year old kids because they're gonna get ran off the court yeah yeah. I mean it's been it's been tough, man. Um shout out to Ian with the five dollar super chances. Tucker got old fast. Dude shouldn't play 30 plus minutes a game. We need a knockdown three-point shooter at the wing, move Harris to stretch four and Tucker to the bench. Uh before we go forward with the conversation, because I you know, I, I do want to talk about what we've liked so far, if anything. Um, and then kind of talk about really the main thing, which is are we in the right space right now? Like, are we headed in the right direction going forward in the season but to this pj tucker thing because it's been driving me nuts i remember saying the day pj tucker was signed people are going to hate this guy regularly like there's going to be games every week where he shows up and puts up nothing and people are going to overreact and then you know there's going to be games where he steps it up but i truly believe maybe i'm just you know hanging too far on the cliff right now but I think PJ Tucker is going to be fine. I think come playoff time, he's a guy that understands like, okay, here's the approach we need to come out with. This is how I need to go out there and, and defend guys. But at the same time, maybe I overrated it with the Sixers because what do we do to get him going? You know, PJ just stands in the corner for the entire game and he plays 35 minutes and you can't overtax a guy like that early in the season. Like he needs to be fresh legs come playoff so he can go out there and defend some of these guys. I'm not saying he hasn't looked bad. I personally think he'll be okay, given the guy he is and given the fact he won a championship, but maybe not. Maybe maybe he's not going to be utilized the right way. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think him more than anyone on this roster is like purely here for the playoffs. Like it's like if this guy is just plays at his best come postseason, everybody's cool with it. And like he's definitely clocking way more minutes than I'm comfortable with right now. Uh, I'll say I haven't been unsatisfied from his role. A lot of what he does good is like setting off ball screens, creating threes in the corner. He's very good at that kind of baseline. They've had a couple sets where they run him setting a, a screen on the opposite block to get Joel position uh, in a post up, which looked good. So there's little things that he definitely does do well. He hasn't shot it at quite the rate that I've expected, but his numbers uh, percentage wise have been pretty solid. Uh, the biggest concern for me with PJ, and this is more of a, a Sixers roster construction thing than PJ specifically, but essentially their their wing defense is like if PJ Tucker can't guard them, then like nobody can. And like that, I get Matisse is like a, a spark guy that can kind of do it. But as far as like a one v one situation, like PJ Tucker, as great as he is and as versatile as he is, because he's still 
is one of the more versatile defenders around the wing. Like we're putting him up against seven foot two Chris Stapps Porzingis. We're putting up against Giannis, Jason Tatum. It's like we just can't be asking that from this guy on a night in and night out basis, especially and we're in November right now. So I think there needs to be some sort of other layer of just wing defense and a guy maybe quicker laterally at more athletic and just bigger because he's still just six five and he tries and plays big, but like there you still just can't make up for size. So I don't know. I've had a mixed bag with Tucker overall. Yeah, look, I, I either need to stop podcasting until Doc Rivers is gone or change the entire name of my YouTube channel and podcast to the Fire Doc Rivers podcast because the answer to every single question <laughs> it is, man, it is. Is Doc Rivers, bro? It's, it and with PJ Tucker, it's all about matchups and like Sean just said, I wanted to touch on that. You can't put him out there against Chris Tapps Porzingis. Are you kidding me? The guy's almost an entire foot taller than him. Do you know how crazy that is in the NBA? 7 foot 3 versus 6 foot 5 and he left him out there the whole fourth quarter. Dude dropped 31 points with his eyes closed. He was just shooting little floaters from from six feet out. It's crazy. And, and, you know, yeah, I think it's all about matchups with P.J. Tucker. It's all about how he's used. And, yeah, then on the offensive side of the ball, it doesn't seem like there's really a plan for it. Um, But, like, what is he really supposed to do offensively anyway? Uh, I feel like only against us when he played for Miami was he randomly doing like hook shots and floaters. And all of a sudden, P.J. Tucker was like a three-level scorer. And then... You know, we we probably predicted it. He puts on a Sixers jersey, and it's like the this guy's on Space Jam that lost all their powers. All of a sudden, he's back down to just being a corner three point shooter who shoots like half a three per game. I don't know. I'm I'm just at the point where the energy needs to change. The voice needs to change. I think we're gonna see a whole lot of you're gonna see a coach that can get more out of all of these guys. I'm just that's where I'm at with it. The coach is not getting enough out of these players. I agree. And to PJ Tucker, you know, what you just described, that's what he is. He's a corner three type of guy. Like, and and I feel personally when James Harden was playing, he was getting a lot more open looks. Yeah. And that's a whole nother issue I have uh, with the Sixers offense, not to just keep piling these on. But, you know, at one point we had uh, Tyrese Maxey out there looking like a spot up shooter. And now, you know, when James Harden goes out, Tyrese Maxey, to me, isn't ready to be the facilitator, the main guy to set teammates up. Like he's not there yet. Uh, he can score at at will, and he can do that, but not for an entire game. And that's to me is where the coach needs to come in and and kind of establish a better game plan instead of having Joel and B catch the ball at the top of the arc and trying to create offense. Like that's what I feel like the last two games we did. We got back to Joel getting his butt down in a post feeding him the ball and letting him create and letting guys space out. But before that, when we were going, you know, off on Doc Rivers, it was a lot of Joel trying to create offense because Tyrese isn't ready to be that guy. And, you know, that messes a guy like PJ up, like just the whole flow of the offense. It just doesn't make sense. Um, but it's another issue I have. And and maybe do we have enough, uh, you know, playmaking on this team? Like I, maybe that's another issue we have. I don't know. But maybe we just need James Harden back. Yeah, well, we def we definitely do. And my bad, DJ. No, uh, go ahead, man. Go ahead. But uh, first off, from Maxi, I do think this is an important stretch from like a long term, like pl just planning his future kind of situation. Whether he can be a guy that can full out run an offense, or if he's just best as a scorer, and that's okay. Like he can succeed that way. Obviously, his stature at six foot two, you would kind of expect him to be a a floor general point guard. I don't think that's who he is. I think he's a guy who's going to be at his best, scoring the basketball always, and that's fine. He's still a very useful player. 
but that's important to know kind of moving forward as we construct that roster if he's never going to be a guy that's like ready to run it but i do think there's an issue as a whole with this roster of just a, a lack of playmakers like a lack of ball handlers like we're talking about when even coming up to the season we talked about how there needs to constantly be, be maxi or harden on the floor to handle the ball you take away one of those very important yep. guys harden who's the only natural playmaker on this roster and it's kind of just doesn't look as pretty like the anthony melton can kind of do it but he's definitely not his best when he, when trying to create for others he's when he can handle the ball but he's definitely not like a exquisite passer by any means same with shake melton shake melton is a guy who can kind of handle the ball but isn't a guy that's a playmaker so you look beyond Harden, and there really isn't a guy to run the offense outside of really it's ending up being Embiid doing it. I agree. Yeah. yeah uh, the, what, the, we've been saying that same thing since <laughs> yeah. the Brett Browner. That's what that's what I'm, I'm struggling with. Like, it's just consistent with this team every year. I was screaming, where are the guards? Like, people, that was like a legendary, you know, quote that I had like three years ago when I first started YouTube. I was screaming, where are the guards? Uh, and, it, yeah, it still kind of feels like that. I think Maxi can develop into a point guard. The the game against the Atlanta Hawks when he had nine assists, he had twenty six points and nine assists. That like shocked the hell out of me because the night before, I think it was a back to back. I don't remember, but uh, the night before or two nights before, I just got done saying Tyrese Maxey's clearly a two guard and he needs James Harden on the floor. He's a shooting guard. He's a shooting guard. He's a shooting guard. And the very next game, he looked like a point guard and he was running pick and rolls with Joel. Joel was popping to the corner and rolling to the basket. He was throwing alley oops to him. He was throwing lobs to Tobias Harris, I think. He 26 points and nine assists and he was running the entire offense from the top. And I was shocked by it. And then I didn't see it. I didn't really see it the next two games. So the inconsistencies also are all over the place and that has to do with you know who there's so much inconsistency i mean it's just it's nuts shout out to andy with the five dollar super chat says this team needs a boris dial no playmakers over six five on this team yeah we're lacking playmaking and, and these guys just laid it out um to that point though about tyrese it's very weird it's very weird how some games we see a, a heavy dose of maxi and bead pick and roll it seems like they can run it comfortably then the next game in beach trying to create too much from the top of the arc and then other games it's like we're, sometimes to me it feels like we just throw it against the wall and see what sticks like early in a game i remember talking to you guys before the season what will the identity be how will we establish our offense and when james harden comes back you know i expect harden to be lethal and cutthroat and you know find open looks for teammates and score and all that stuff but i'm starting to wonder like are there too many touches to go around for the personnel on this team? Because we didn't even mention Tobias Harris. And it's weird. Tobias is having an efficient year. He's shooting the ball well. But does a Tobias Harris fit with the team? And it's something we talked about for a long time. Because he also needs the ball in his hands. And Tyrese Maxey needs the ball in his hands sometimes. And Harden needs the ball in his hands. And then Embiid needs a heavy dose of the ball in his hands. So at this point, like, how do we mesh all of that together? And to me, I think a, a coach can kind of work out some of the kinks there, but, you know, maybe like Sean said, it's also a roster construction issue. And, you know, Tobias, we need him to rebound the ball heavily. We need him to do other things. You know, we need Tucker to get scrappy in there. Everything just hasn't clicked together. And I'm, I'm starting to really think like, you know, maybe we will see something happen with this roster. Maybe it is Tobias Harris while his value increases a little bit or, or whatever, but it just hasn't looked natural to me. There's no it, flow. 
it needs to be listen this might be a hot take but remember that year that like the cab when lebron was on the Cavs and they were underperforming and at the trade deadline he traded his entire team and brought in like seven different guys like jordan clarkson a, a, a jr smith everybody was shipped out and he brought in a whole new squad joel Embiid needs to get on lebron james level of demanding things he really mm-hmm. does because if this team is underwhelming by the trade deadline they need a line change they need to ship out anybody with value and and put change the whole thing up because yeah I've, i feel like i've seen some of these guys for 20 years i was just watching some young ben simmons highlights just because i, I can't figure out how he fell off this hard i mean i know why he's a mental case and it's sad but uh i just i, I saw like highlights with with furkan korkmaz and matisse Thibault. i'm like what that guy was on the team back then how long have we been watching this when is when are these things going to change when are we going to shake it up yeah i absolutely <laughs> I'll touch on the Tobias stuff real quick. I'll give him a little credit before I kind of critique him here. I do give him a ton of credit for doing his best to adjust the way he plays, becoming more confident as a catch and shooter, being more willing, trying to embrace defensively. And he's done like by his standards, an absolutely terrific job at that. But with that being said, like at his core, he's just not the player the Sixers need for the role that they're asking of him. And he's not a guy who's at his best as a catch and shoot guy. Like he's a guy that, if Tobias Harris just plays the way he wants to play basketball, he's getting in the post. He's doing some deep two turnarounds. He's doing his thing, dribbling the ball 10 times before he, before he shoots it. And, like, like we just can't have that. And I give him credit for taking that out of his game. But, like, what this Sixers team is missing is pretty much at the position he plays. And, like, we need a wing that can defend, be athletic, uh, go coast to coast, pick up a team's primary scoring option, and just add a little bit offensively, have a little creation and, like, that's just not Tobias. So as much as like, like this is the highest paid player on the team this year. Tobias Harris is still making the most money out of everyone on this team. So it's like, we just kind of need a guy that connects better than Tobias does. And once again, I give him credit for trying, but it's just not quite him. Yeah. At that position, you know, like with PJ Tucker, it's kind of redundant. Like both of those guys are both almost the same position or what they're trying to do on the court in between everyone else. You need an athletic, like glue guy. You need like one of one of what the Toronto Raptors have 15 of. You need just one of those guys, a Scotty Barnes, uh, uh, whoever else. Like, you just need one of those guys. It's not Tobias Harris, I agree. And I'm glad you brought up the money thing as well because the guy that we need to fill that role, an athletic four, a guy that can go and get you 10 rebounds a game, they don't cost more than 10 to 15 mil per year. And like you just said, how much are we paying Tobias? 35 million? Like, that's a big issue, and and we know it's been it's been an issue. And you know, again, Tobias is a good guy, but he just like you said, he doesn't fit the mold of what you need around Embiid. And that goes to an even higher question: like, can the offense be built around a center to win a championship? It's an interesting dilemma that we've had. Like, we tried different things. I, you know, I I feel like if certain things would have worked out other ways, maybe if a number one pick doesn't forget how to shoot or then other one just doesn't want to shoot, maybe things go the other way, but, um, it's been can, a weird turn of events. Can, can, uh, first of all, what, what does Elton brand do right now? I wanted to talk about Elton brand. What does Elton brand do right now? And when does Elton brand get fired? Because if we're talking about building around Embiid, I just thought of that when, when you brought up, uh, Tobias Harris and when we paid him that money and the fact that he didn't really fit, he doesn't really fit with what we need around Joel Embiid. At what point is it like Elton has now had five years of failing to put the right team around Joel Embiid, so get him out of here? Or is he even a manager anymore? Like, is he just Daryl Morey's, like, making his coffee and collecting a salary? Like, I can't figure it out, but, you know, he's had uh, uh, enough years now of, 
of trying and failing at, at putting the right things around Joel Embiid. And it goes back to what I said earlier. It's not that complicated. It's just not. You need an athletic wing. You need ball handling guards. You need guys that can transition, play transition defense and rebound. I mean, you, you don't want – it's just not that complicated. I really don't think it is, man. Yeah, I agree. Uh, shout out to Roddy with the $5 Super Chat. <clears throat> says Toby doesn't fit. He's soft and lazy on defense. He also <laughs> – Good to get he's good to get weak layups and transition swatted a minimum of three times a game. It's funny because Roddy's always in my streams and and he always brings it up. Like every time I say, Toby, dunk the ball, man. Dunk the ball. You're wide open. Puts it on a silver platter. Come he on, puts man. it out like this. Come on, man. You're and and and, and like I'm gonna I'm gonna I might just make a montage of Tobias Harris missed layups because some of them are so close to being right in the hoop it's actually astonishing that he figured out a way to miss it and he has a lot of them over the course of his career i mean the ball is in his hands almost in the basket and he finds a way for it to roll out so i don't know man i don't you know i like tobias i think he's a good guy too but i've just i've seen enough i've seen I've, yeah. i saw enough last year i thought that was the major thing we were going to do this season still here still doesn't fit uh, that's why people are losing interest in this team. It's the same issues. We didn't actually fix the major issues. Yeah, and and I think that there's certain guys that could potentially be replacements, but you again, you let them walk. Like you keep staying with that same core, um, and it's frustrating. You know, I mean, I'll give Daryl Morey credit. I feel like he's had to clean up a huge mess created by Elton Brand, which again, it doesn't really make sense why Elton Brand's still in a position of power if he is. <laughs> Uh, because he's the one that kind of created this mess. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, you, you got to keep moving in that direction. So before we get to that, like, ultimate question, um, I mean, there, what what have you guys liked so far that you're like, okay, I'm impressed with this or that? Um, I mean, obviously, we're 7-7, seven and seven, but it feels like we're 5-10. and 10. Um, wait, wait, before that, before that, I just figured out what Elton Brand does because when Ben Simmons was a no-show and then he showed up at the practice facility randomly, Elton Brand was the person that he texted. So Elton Brand is just the guy that players text when they want in the building. That's all he does. That's his job. Anyway. He also does the interviews uh, during training camp, uh, the little uh, <laughs> interviews. So shout out to Elton Brand. Man. Uh, nah, man. But No, you can re-ask your question. I'm sorry. I, I yeah, no, nah, nah, I'm just wondering, like, what are you guys happy with? I mean, we could state the obvious, you know, Joel and B starting to catch fire. I I don't want to open a can of worms for the next five hours. I mean, we could be on here all night. I mean, going back to Doc Rivers is bringing it full circle. Uh, when Doc said after game two of the year, didn't tell us anything about Joel and B all off season. And then, um, you know, tells us that he's out of shape after two games and then says we're not ready to win as a team. That was another breaking point. I forgot to bring that up earlier, by the way, but. Uh, not to go off on a tangent, but Joel's starting to finally get his feet under him, catch some fire. Harden has looked good. What else are we excited about, fellas? What what's making us smile? Like, all right, that got better, that improved. Anything? What what do you got? For me, for me, the Anthony Melton. Like, yeah. I, and I think Sean was going to uh, at least mention him too. But this team, this could be a this could be a ten and seventy two basketball team, and I would still have fun watching the Anthony Melton. He's a lot of fun to watch. He flies around the court. He's like a magnet to the ball. I've never seen a 6'2 guard rebound like the way that he does. Uh, and just the effort uh, on both sides of the floor. Even if he goes, even if he has those, he has those shooting nights all the time. And that's what the people were saying about him in Memphis when we got him. You know, you're going to see how inconsistent he is. I'm like, he's a bench player. I don't expect him to be a superstar. Uh, if he's one for seven, I still had fun watching the guy. 
I like watching DeAnthony Melton. And of course, Tyrese Maxey in year three. You know what I mean? What what we're we're seeing closer to what we know he can become. I really think at 25, 26 years old, with the right system, he could develop into a, a Damian Lillard. I really think he could. He just has so much skill and it's just and he never stops working, he never stops improving, it just keeps going. So Maxie's great to watch. Uh, of course, uh, we're going to see what Embiid can do. He's averaging 32.5 points and, and 11 rebounds and two blocks right now. Uh, he might just average that for the whole season. We thought last year was one of the best years for a center of all time. Embiid might just take it to another notch. You never know. So there's definitely a lot of positives. I just the, the negatives are, I guess, outweighing it right now because we thought we were going to be a lot better than we look so far. But there's a lot of reasons to watch this team, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you touched on pretty much everything I had to jump on. I mean, Embiid at his best is still the best player in the NBA, one of, if not the, when he's playing at his peak. Uh, De'Anthony Melton I absolutely love. I think he's pretty crucial to what the Sixers need to do moving forward too. Having him as a third guy with Harden and Maxi to pick up some of that defensive slack, the way he can rise up, that how, the way he just jumps off the page athletically is super refreshing to see. And Maxi, the the way he continues to take strides is is huge. Like he's still shooting over forty percent from three on nearly double the volume as last year. He's improving. He just like looks more controlled and more confident in the way he played, which is awesome. And as far as like long term hope for this team, obviously we're hoping for like the the championship window open right now to be contending for it this year. But I think there's still a world where like Maxi hits his prime and like Embiid can still be a valuable player, like taking a little bit of a step back putting more of a focus on defense, being a guy that controls the boards and having other guys kind of run the show. So I do think there's kind of things you can string together for a long, successful tenure, which I, I think is a positive takeaway. I think that's a good point. And, and personally, I feel early in the season, like usually how I kind of navigate an NBA season, there's certain games I remember. Uh, I'll be honest, to this point in the season, there are a lot more games I remember for a bad reason than a good reason. Um, the good reason is obviously Joel Embiid having a massacre of a game and making history and Maxi jumping on his back and smiling. Those are the things I like to see. Um, but other than that, like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I haven't had a lot of fun watching this team so far because it's just kind of going through the motions. Now, the last couple of games, we've been stepping up two big wins. If we can beat the Bucks tomorrow night, I'll feel a lot happier. Um, but it's just it's kind of just going through the motions right now. And it it gets frustrating, you know, when it feels like one game you're you're up to your level and the other game you don't really care a lot. So it's I just haven't had as much fun watching the team so far. That's kind of my take on it. Um, but I, you know, I want to go like and hit on one of your points that you made about Joel Embiid, because I remember talking to both of you and a panel of other people last year at the trade deadline. And I remember bringing up a point, and it was kind of just like I'm crazy, like just poo-pooed at, like you you don't know what you're talking about. Poo-poo. I remember <laughs> I yeah, like get that out of here. Like you're <laughs> asinine. We were we were like, are we gonna trade for James Harden and, and all this? And you called and it. I remember saying, you know, or is this, you know, going to be kind of like the last final shot for Joel Embiid and, and the Sixers? And you know, a lot of people have been DMing me lately about Ben Simmons. Oh, look at what's going on. I don't really care about Ben Simmons anymore, but I am I'm still very frustrated at Ben Simmons because of one thing and one thing only. He took away the best opportunities for this team to win a championship. And I'm I really am starting to truly believe that because 
Look at how weak the East was. Look at the chance you had. I mean, against the Atlanta Hawks for crying out loud, or, or the four bouncer. Like, imagine if we beat the Raptors and we go on and we beat the Bucks and we play a banged up Warriors team, whatever it may be. We may have wasted our best opportunities. Guys want to say, oh, wait till they're in their prime, wait till they're this age. It's different with this team. Joel Embiid, you know, his prime is earlier than most because of his injury histories. But anyway, bringing all that together, like, you know, that's why I feel like people are disinterested. That's why I haven't had as much fun because this is supposed to be the optimal point. Okay, this is finally the roster that fits around Joel Embiid. They can go out and compete. Can we get over the hump? We haven't been to the Eastern Conference Finals since 2001. And early in the season, it just feels like we're going down the same path. We're going down the same trajectory. And that's why I feel people like myself are frustrated. But the question is, you know, like, is like, are the best opportunities behind us? What if it doesn't work out this year? Are we going to go with what Sean said and, and have a Embiid eventually in a couple of years take a backseat role? Could Embiid request a trade? Is it Maxi's team? You know, like those are the things starting to creep in my head. And I don't like it. I don't like it. I feel like we're wasting good opportunity. So sorry for the tangent, but I just, I'm starting to really wonder. I'm starting to yeah. wonder. I mean, it's a, a real concern for sure. Like, I wouldn't say I feel great about it. And like, I like I, the Ben Simmons thing for sure. Like the trajectory that he just kind of went on, like he's the the one like outlier as far as like guys that like showed improvement with all the statistical categories. And the shooting thing was always something that was complained about and talked about. We never really saw progress in that. But like guys just don't really like jump off the clip or fall off the clip the way that he did. That just doesn't really happen. And even like 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 you said, it kind of robbed a lot of the best opportunities. But I still don't think like the window's closed by any means. And when you have a guy, a talent like Embiid, who is pretty undeniably one of the top eight players in the NBA, and I think you can shorten that list a, a good bit in my mind. But like when you have that and you have guys around him, like the chance is always there. And like it shouldn't be as hard to bring in these complimentary pieces as the Sixers have made it out to be. And like if you can just kind of get a little bit of the recipe right, like this team has a chance. And Embiid still has his limitations. There's stuff he needs to clean up in the postseason for sure. He still has a lot to prove. But like I, I'm not counting this team out right if as long as they get the, this team out as long as they get things right. But there's still like work to be done at the deadline ahead of that, and just like completing the pieces to this puzzle. Before I let yeah. DJ go, I just want to say one quick point back to that. I would agree with you if the Sixers developed the guys they drafted. And I feel like they let a lot of good chances walk out the door. And, um, you know, and maybe a coach change will change that. Maybe not. But, and, you know, we're, we're trying to find gold through free agency, through a trade here and there. We have guys in the building, right? If you can put all that together, maybe we'd have a more complete roster. But it's frustrating because we don't do that. Yeah. Um. I'm actually not going to blame Ben Simmons for taking away Joel, uh, Joel Embiid's uh, best opportunities or the team's best opportunities because Ben Simmons was Ben Simmons this whole time. Ben Simmons is a loser. Ben Simmons is no good. He's in, he's ne he's never he doesn't have a position. He can't shoot. He can't. He's no post game. He can't. It's been that from the jump. The major problem was the people in control of Ben Simmons letting him do whatever the hell he wanted for all of those years. If if one of these coaches had a pair of you know what, they would have said, "Hey, this ain't going to work. I need to play a point guard." And if you're not going to shoot, you can't you just can't play. I don't know what to tell you. You should have I would have had an argument with Josh Harris and said, "I don't care how much money you played this guy. I can't put him on the floor in the half court. It's impossible." We were down 0-3 to the Boston Celtics and Brett Brown started TJ McConnell 
at point guard next to Ben Simmons. That was the only game in the series that we won. So it doesn't even have to be a star point guard, just a point guard. You need a point guard in a basketball game. And Ben Simmons has never been one. It didn't make any sense. I, I, it drove me nuts watching that that style of play, bring the ball across half court and hand it off to, to Seth Curry, who's not a point guard, or hand it off to J.J. Redick, who's not a point guard. It was mind-numbingly stupid, the whole thing. It's the, it's the people in charge that allowed that to happen for years instead of just saying this ain't going to work. Look, it didn't take the, the Brooklyn Nets very long to bring him off the bench. And they're still trying to play him because they owe him a lot of money, and they're hoping that that becomes worth something. But they already decided this guy can't start. He, he's not giving us anything. And, I mean, he was giving us a lot more than he's given the Brooklyn Nets, but it's the same concept. Uh, you, you needed a point guard. You just needed a point guard that whole time. Any point guard would have been better than this 6'10 guy bringing the ball up and handing it off to J.J. Redick, who should never be dribbling a basketball. I, I saw for what felt like way too long, and I think that was the, the major issue. And But, yeah, I mean, it is the fact that Ben Simmons was there, but it was really, to me, the mishandling of it or just people not being tough enough to say, hey, yeah, this ain't going to work. So, yeah, I agree with you, but I just think, you know, people let him get away with it too long. And I, I agree 100%, but the problem I have with that is, you know, as a number one overall pick, you know the expectations, you know the heights that are coming. You know, you take a team from 10 wins and – you and Joel Embiid have this team in the playoffs. And my thing is, you know, he talked, you know, a little while ago, oh, I wasn't mentally there. I wasn't mentally ready, but he never was open or honest about it. You know, the Philly fan base got tougher and tougher because we had, we felt like we were on the cusp, but yet we never got over the hump. And, and that's what I'm frustrated about. And then you kind of had this whole drama filled season last year where your hat, you know, you're, you're supposed to be there. Then you're not, you show up for one training camp practice. You're not. And to me, it just felt like, maybe those couple years were our best opportunities if he would have just played a little bit better. Not saying he had to shoot the lights out, Look, but, I mean, you know, we were there. We were there. Let, let's let's be totally honest. There's a black cloud over this franchise. There just is. You had you had a, poten you had a potential 6'10 left-handed LeBron James who turned out to be two, averaging two points off the bench for the Brooklyn Nets. You had the next Kyrie Irving, Derrick Rose, whatever, and Markel Fultz who forgot how to shoot. The only time we won a championship is because the ABA was ending and Julius Irving came over to the Philadelphia 76ers in the NBA. That's the only reason we won a championship in 1983. We had the 10 years of Allen Iverson, couldn't put anybody better than Aaron McKee around him. This franchise has, has just had the worst luck ever. We traded for a guy that was billboards with his face on it and he hurt himself in a bowling alley. You can't make up these stories. You just can't. It's insanity. That's it has my, to be cursed. It has to be cursed. And that's my thing. Like, I'm starting to get these black clouds and thoughts over <laughs> me that we may have just wasted a talent like Joel and B. And I don't want to speak too far in the future because it, it just, you know, the timing of everything is, is interesting. But if we get to a point in the next couple of years and we're not really there, we're not contending, this is going to go down as one of the, the worst handlings of, of a superstar that I've ever seen. Like, there's no reason you can't get to the Eastern Conference Finals with Joel Embiid. Think about that. How many times have we been to the second round? We have the coach that's known for blowing the most second-round leads, and we can't get to the Eastern Conference Finals? Not even the Finals, the Eastern Conference Finals with Joel Embiid. That's frustrating. That's crazy, man. Yeah, and just the amount of blown assets in general. When we talk about the Julio Okafors, the, the Nerlens Noels, the, all these first-round picks that just – 
Embiid is the only guy that worked out of it. That's the only guy that's become and even looking beyond that, the Dario Sarges, the all these pieces that like we hypothetically had and look so great when we have this giant collection of picks really has not turned out anything. And even when you look, Maxi has been the saving grace, like the second wind of this franchise. Him falling the 21st is like, think about if we're talking about this, like if that's your general 21st, like if, if that's like Aaron Naismith, who, who went higher than 21. But if that's like a just a rotation guy, which is kind of what you're hoping for, for that section of the draft, like the Sixers, the outlook is significantly grimmer right now. So the fact that we kind of have this saving grace is a guy that has rapidly become a key piece and developed far more than anyone expected in three years is another kind of, I guess, white lining if we want to look at it positively. But things just like, it, it is insane just the the lack of what has worked out from the collection of assets when we started this whole, the whole process and everything as well. So it's definitely frustrating. Yeah, because most teams, you know, draft a Joel, they, 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 they stink for one year, they draft Joel Embiid at number three, and they, and they move forward. They don't lose on purpose for three entire seasons and stack up all of these things and make all these weird draft picks. They were calling us the Philadelphia seven footers, Jaleel Okafor, Nerlens Noel, Joel Embiid. Like we, this took almost 10 years and most teams just get a guy number three overall because they were bad and he ends up being good. And then they build around him. Like the tanking thing. I, I hated what Stephen A. Smith was saying in the beginning of it, but he was 100% correct. The tanking was ridiculous. It was embarrassing. And all we got out of all of that is Joel Embiid. Again, like we got Tyrese Maxey at 21. We didn't have to lose on purpose for three years to get a great player. Yeah. That's that's, oh, that's where, that's where I get frustrated it. is just like, again, like everybody's pointing out with Daryl Morey and we need to go out and prove the roster. I'm just going to keep going back to the same roots here. Like we need to develop better. We How many guys do we have in here? They don't show anything and we don't coach them up the right way. Like we don't really go through the motions. The best example I have is look at the Boston Celtics last year. Untraditional run to the finals. Who was playing on the Celtics team, all right? They were led by, what, a 24-year-old Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, who are stars, like let's, or at least they're close if they're not. But look who else was playing on that team. Rob Williams. First year, they said he had anger problems. They said he couldn't play. He's out there blocking everybody in the playoffs. All right, Peyton Pritchard. Uh, who else? I mean, uh, Grant Williams. I mean, how many guys did they draft in the last couple years? And even Tatum and Jalen Brown weren't that far back. All of their team was drafted. How about the team they were playing? The Warriors. They drafted all of them. They developed them. And, you know, at this point, maybe we don't need to sign anybody. Maybe we need to develop Charles Bassey, Isaiah Joe, and Jane Springer, and Matisse Thibel, and we'd have a, a superstar team. We have a team that can get one game away from the Eastern Conference Finals, and that's without developing almost everybody. Yeah, the 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 answer to all of that is Daryl Morey needs to grow a pair. That's the answer. Clearly, Doc Rivers is bullying Daryl Morey. There's no way around it. Like he's drafting players, Doc isn't playing them, and then he gets bullied into releasing a guy. I mean, it's crazy. You, it's crazy. He needs to grow a pair. I just tweeted him. I said we decided that Doc Rivers is bullying you around, and you need to grow a pair. So I just tweeted that at Daryl Morey. Maybe he'll reply to me. He probably won't. Well, every, everybody in the chat saying that we're like making them up depressed and upset. Look, I'm sorry, man. I want to see this team be great. Like I just, how, how do you expect everybody to go year by year? And, and this will probably take us to our last topic, which is the ultimate question. Are the Sixers headed in the right direction? Um, you know how, like it feels like we're kind of on the same track every year. No, people do that all the time. They say, "Oh, you're you're so doom and gloom. You're being so negative." Do, to the people that say that in the chat, do you, is this a championship team to you? Do, what you watched so far this season, 
Do you think we can beat the Bucks or the Celtics and, and and get to the NBA Finals with this team? The answer to that is no. There's no way you do. So you're we're just being honest up here. What are we supposed to say? And it's frustrating. It's frustrating because we literally watch this team every day. We try to cover them, and you know we want to see them take that next step. But it feels like we're kind of in in purgatory. But uh, shout out to Jordan with a two dollar super chat. Says, what are your thoughts on the KD to Philly noise? Quick quick thing here um me personally I, I don't see a way that it would happen i actually put a trade out yesterday i said the thunder should trade for kd because they have a million gazillion draft picks uh mm -hmm. sga is a monster chet giddy that would be a squad um there's no way the brooklyn nets do business with us and we won the trade we fleeced them and if they did business with us again they might they might sell that franchise i'm not even kidding <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see it happening. I, the the lack of draft picks the Sixers have. The first first round pick we can trade is twenty twenty nine. Like the Nets are super depleted in in assets, and I think somehow like I I just don't see KD getting traded yet. I think like he's gonna kind of go down with the ship at least a little further, and like I they're just not overcoming the lack of draft picks. Like Maxi's a great starting point and a terrific kind of trade piece if that was the hypothetical. But I also like. I, we've had enough go wrong with this franchise already that I would just feel like dirty trying to have Kevin Durant be the guy to like save a grace. Like this is a guy who's already kind of destroyed things in Brooklyn. And like, I get the talent. He's obviously one of the best players ever, but I, I just don't see it working out or finding a, a, a real route for us to get him. You know what I find fun about the Brooklyn Nets right now? Their, their issues right now, their lack of talent is Kevin Durant's fault. People don't realize that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving wanted James Harden on that team. They, if they would have not done the James Harden trade, are you kidding me? Jared Allen and everybody else that was on that squad, mm -hmm. Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, that was the, all. If they kept all that depth and just Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, they, they would have been a great team. I mean, Kyrie would have eventually done something that got him suspended or whatever. But yeah, they, they Kevin Durant's the reason they gave up seven, five first round picks and a pick swap and all those players for James Harden. And now he's complaining that he doesn't have anybody. In fact, I, I actually thought the Nets were a pretty fun team, even though we whooped them in the playoffs, you know, when they had D'Lo and Jared Allen and, like you said, Lavert, Dinwiddie. Like, they were actually a pretty interesting team on the come-up. And if you remember, Kenny Atkinson, he literally quit because he said, I don't want to coach Katie and Kyrie. And, <laughs> and man, he, he was a genius for that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that that's actually been one of my best parts of this season is watching the demise of the Nets. And, and we all predicted it, like, Where's like we literally sat up here day by day and, and said it was going to happen uh, while everybody yeah. tried to get them out to be contenders. So at least we're better than Brooklyn right now. Yeah, that's yeah. like that's like if if I lose my job and become homeless and then I just go like look at other people that are more homeless than me, you know, it makes me feel a little bit better. I mean, it's <laughs> it's been an interesting <laughs> start. It's been an interesting turn of events. I'll tell you that. Um, Aaron with the $5 Super Chat says, at least Brett developed players. McConnell or Milton, Shake got better every year until we hired Doc, and now he's garbage. That's another guy, though. That's another example. You know, Furkan comes in the other night, and, and he sparks and, you know, starts going off. But the thing is, if Furkan didn't get injured, he would now start seeing about 15 to 20 minutes per game for the next six until he slumped his way out of it. Shake Milton gets a couple games, then where does he go? There's no rhythm. There's no rhyme or reason. And, and the best way I've been able to describe Doc Rivers this year is a lack of situational awareness. The games that I was talking about that stand out bad to me, what happened in those games? Takes out Paul Reed with six steals and two blocks. Uh, when we needed a defender, when the Knicks were down 12 with four minutes to go, there was no 
way they were coming back. They were talking about firing their coach after the game, and Doc Rivers let him back in because he took the only paint defender off the floor. The other game, uh, the bench comes in. They cut the lead 20-6, to six, and I'm like, okay, maybe we can find a way to win. Like, they deserve to stay in, but it's it's textbook Doc Rivers. Like, he goes to the same game plan every single game. Starters come back in at 6.30. The bench cuts the lead. Well, I'm going to take him out and put him back in with 30 seconds to go. It makes – he doesn't know how to read a situation. It makes no sense, and that is – that's been the the Achilles heel in the playoffs. I mean, I mean, it, it just happens time and hey, time. The, the Atlanta Hawks, the, the Atlanta Hawks playoff series, and we were at Game Five. RB, we were at Game Five, right? The one that uh, we needed a spark from. We needed something from a guard, and Shake Milton gave us that in Game Five against the Atlanta Hawks in the playoffs. Game two. Game two. And, game two. and yeah. then Maxi Maxi had a game too, where he kind of went off coming off the bench, I think. Um, and then uh, Game, game Seven. Yeah. Game six, that was. And then uh, game seven, Doc Rivers said, yeah, nice game six, buddy, but we're going with George Hill. And so. you know what's funny about that? I heard an interview that came out the following year, and uh, Doc Rivers went up to Tyrese Maxey after game six that night and said to him, you are going to win us a playoff game next year. That's what he said to Tyrese Maxey. <laughs> not, not game, not seven, game not seven, not two days from now. Not game seven where we're going to play you nine minutes or ten minutes, whatever it was. We're, you're going to win a playoff game for us next year. Back to what Sean said earlier, I think if Maxey played in that series like full-time, even with Ben Simmons, you know, just absolutely losing it, I, I still think we win the series. Like, oh yeah, that little bit of an adjustment, seeing the hot hand, seeing, you know, Paul Reed with six steals and two blocks, just – Let's let's let them stay in a little bit and and win this game for us. Those little things never come up for us. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah, man. That's that's been the book on Doc Rivers is he has his script, he creates his script, and that's what you're getting in the game. To pretty much regardless of, of what goes down. And I think uh, another I guess silver lining of this this hardened absence is it's forced him to be a little more creative, try some new things, and and see what sticks. And there's obviously been some things not not great in this and. Real quick to the point on Shake Milton, don't forget Doc coming here. His opening quote with Shake Milton was that the NBA has not caught up to Shake Milton yet. And don't forget, like, that was the the Shake Milton dropping 37 against the Clippers as Doc was the coach of that, and that was the version of him he had in his head. But that's just, unfortunately, not the version of Shake Milton that is the true player, and I, I certainly wish it was. I wish that was a guy mm -hmm. in the Sixers rotation, but it's really not. So I guess, I don't know. It, it's It's been very frustrating. I hope there's fixes, and I, it, it, it's 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 rough to be kind of looking at the picture right now. It's been it's been tough. It's been we're tough. Gonna, we're gonna get James Harden back, you know, and maybe maybe it'll look like those first couple games, James Harden games. Um, you know, we'll see. And and that's perfectly fine. And so getting to the final ultimate question: Are the Sixers, based on everything we talked about, chat to everybody in the chat, let us know right now: Are the Sixers headed in the right direction? Uh, there's a lot of angles you can take. So I'm I'm going to defer, and I'll go later on. But Sean, DJ, whoever wants to take it, like, are you satisfied right now keeping this team, this coach? I know what you guys – I know what DJ thinks about the coach and stuff, but, like, as an organization, are we headed at least upwards, forward? Are we going backwards, or are we just kind of, like, floating around at this point? Like, what yeah. happens if we don't win this year, if we don't get over the hump this year? Or maybe we bottom out. Maybe we go all the way, make a hot run. What do you guys think? Where is this team at right now? 
I think kind of the third option, what you said, is kind of how I feel. We're just kind of floating along. Like, I don't think we've taken a step back. And if I'm specifically comparing, like, last year to this year, uh, like, I guess I'll give it a, a step forward. Like, I do think Tucker and Melton specifically are going to matter come playoff time. I think they're guys that we didn't have last year. But I, I don't think we, like, drastically changes our champions, our chances of winning a championship. I don't think this team is a championship really threat right now. Like, there's just – not enough there there's too many clear mistakes and i'm still keeping my mind open and staying optimistic that like i think there's enough that you can do at the deadline like if we can find a wing that fits better find another ball handler like two additional players and this could be maybe a championship roster but there's still the same issues here that aren't fixed how how are we going to get those players though like who do we get back you know and like maybe you trade it to buys harris if his value get like but then again you know that's why we have an open roster spot and it's like, you know, are we going to take another player? Like, it, that's where I'm confused. Like, how do we fix the team at that point? Like, our bench players aren't really giving us much, you know? So I, it's like, you got to give, give to get, right? So. Yeah, I think the the mindset with the open roster spot is like keeping the potential for like a two for one, three for two open, or just signing a, a veterans minimum guy that are out there. And frankly, the guys out there at that cost are probably out there for a reason. So I'm not super optimistic about that. I think you kind of have to swallow the Tobias Harris pill a little bit that like you're not going to get like on brand value back for this guy. But if you sacrifice that for guys that fit better, to me, it's worth it. Like if you can find kind of what you're talking like a Chris Boucher from the Raptors or uh, not Andrew Wiggins, but that model of player, a guy that kind of can do that, play that style three and D cleaner fit, just do that. Like that's worth taking. And it kind of sucks to to do that to kind of swallow that because you're not going to like quote unquote win the trade but if it makes the Sixers better it's worth doing I like that you said Chris Boucher because that's a great example of that that style of player um but also when I think about Chris Boucher would Doc Rivers put him on the floor so it is it all it all no my answer is no this team is headed in the exact wrong direction whatever like not even a little bit in the wrong direction they're headed completely in the wrong direction uh, you know, we went all in to make it a championship roster and all in meant, um, the playoff experience players, but we may have gotten them three, four five years too late. Uh, we're capped out. We got no draft picks where there's, yeah, doom and gloom guys, because, because what, what am I supposed to be optimistic about right now? It's if they don't, if they get bounced in the second round this season, you got to blow it up. You got to blow it up. You absolutely have to blow it up because, again, you know, even even uh, like I say, Josh Harris isn't a basketball guy. He doesn't care about a sport at all. Why would he? He's in the business of making money. He's going to say blow it up because the fan base is dwindling right now. You know, the hardcore fans are always going to be there, but he makes money off of the mainstream, the, the arena being filled with all of the mainstream people being excited about the team. If it starts dwindling right now, you come back next season and try the same thing. <laughs> Nobody's going to be interested. So yeah, if they get bounced in the second round, you gotta blow it up. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you ever I don't I don't honestly think you ever trade Embiid. I think Embiid would end up requesting a trade. You know, because why are you gonna waste your whole career somewhere that's not doing the right thing for you? Uh but if he doesn't request a trade, you never trade Joel Embiid. You continue to try to win until he retires because he's one of the greatest players. He's gonna be one of the greatest players to ever play the game. I really think that. But you gotta blow it up outside of Joel Embiid. You you have to. I need. I'm not talking about the end of the season. I'm talking about the trade deadline. You get. We need a line change. That's where I'm at with it. See again, <laughs> like before, I give my like total answer. I, I think you made some good points. Um, there's just an issue I'm having with what you guys are saying. It's 
I don't see how we get better. The way I think we get better is we have our draft picks and we play them. But here's the problem. They're gone. And <laughs> they're gone. Look, they are gone. You can't get them back. Correct. And when you look <laughs> that just at our, said, that, just, that just hit me in the chest. That just really set in with me that they're gone. That's it. Gone. Those draft picks are Over. gone. And you, you got nothing <laughs> back for them. You didn't even get a second round pick back. So oh my God. that's one thing. And then in addition to that, you look at what the Sixers have asset wise, right? I'm not exactly sure how many picks we have, but if I'm not mistaken, we're kind of lean right now with our future draft picks because we use them in other trades, right? So mm -hmm. my thing is if Jaden Springer is not going to step up and be an NBA player and you, you have no Joe, no Bassey, Bible is an iffy one and, and Shake and Korkmaz can't really crack the rotation consistently, who are you going to give away to get and who's going to step up and, and be the more production that we need? I, and, and that takes me to my answer. I think we are in the worst situation possible because we're not headed forward. We're not headed backwards. We're in no man's land. We're in purgatory. Where, where do we go? And, and to your point about Embiid, I, I never thought I'd be saying this right now. Outside of Joel Embiid, how are you going to get draft picks back? How are you going to get assets back? Like Joel Embiid might be the only piece you have. If you have to hit a reset button, let Maxi run the team going forward. <laughs> because what are you going to get for James Harden? He might sign elsewhere. We do remember, right? He's a free agent after this season if he wants to be. So I unless just, I just got to I just got to shout out Romp one more time, man, because every time we bring him on the show, everybody says how negative he is, and then he just ends up being right. And we're all saying what Romp was saying six months ago. We just are. It's yeah, you, you're you're absolutely right. You you would have to question how can we do anything without giving up our only asset, uh, you know, if you lose this upcoming playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. You would have to question it. Like, like you can trade the rest of the guys for pennies on the dollar. You can get rid of them all, like, you know, get whatever back and okay. You'll have some cap space, I guess, but you know, I, I mean, we're not like a ready, a win ready team at that point. Like you have to get the right fits as well and the right value players. And I'm just having a tough time seeing how we do that unless we develop guys. But then again, we don't draft, I guess, particularly well. We have Elton Brand in, you know, having his thumbprint on the draft picks. And then the guys we, we draft, we send them to the G League for two years. Or we give them a chance in summer league. They play well, and then we don't play them. And, and maybe we need a new coach at that point. I just, I think being in this situation is the worst. It's not like you can go full tank and get a number one, number two pick. And like a, Wem, a Wemin Yama or a Scoot Henderson. But you also, like, you're at the same threshold. So unless you're getting over that threshold, you're just kind of in that in that same zone, you know, like you're just floating around that same bubble. And we've been doing that for years and years. And it's it's a tough thing to think about. I think I don't think it would happen uh, because I think there's egos involved, too. And and uh, people that have been in charge for a while now, uh, you know, ahead of the coach, ahead of the president of basketball operations, um, they're not going to admit that the process was a major failure that, because trading Embiid would be them totally admitting none of this worked. And they're just never going to admit that. And it, it would get to the point where we'd be the New York Knicks fans screaming, you know, uh, screaming to James Dolan to sell the team. Like that's what it would get to. It would get to the point where we're chanting, sell the team to Josh Harris, holding up signs and things like that. <laughs> and that it would, I really think he wouldn't bow down. He wouldn't give in and admit that, that this was a failure. And uh, it might get to that point. It might get a lot worse, actually, than it already is. It, it might get to that point.
I think I'm mostly frustrated because I thought, okay, even if it doesn't work out this year and you have to blow it up fine, we're going to give it our best shot. We're going to finally put the roster together and, and go to war. But right now, like if, you know, the Sixers can pick it up over the next 10, 20 games, they can look like a formidable team. And I'm at the point where I'm like, does, does regular season even matter with Doc Rivers at this point? We've been a one seed. Like we need to see it in the playoffs. But then again, going back to thinking about Doc Rivers, he choked a 28 and an 18 point lead against the Atlanta Hawks, who were an, a good journey team. What are we yeah. expecting in the playoffs? You know, I, it's yeah. frustrating. Step it one, step one, you got to get him out of here. Look, there's young athletes all over the NBA. Just, just saying the name Knicks, I just thought of Jericho Sims. Would Doc Rivers play Jericho Sims ever? No, he wouldn't. The guy's out here dunking from the foul line. There's young athletes all over the place. This coach is not allowing it to be to be seen through, and we, that's step one. You got to try getting him out of here before anything else. And not to keep nitpicking on the the play the develop guys though, but two years ago I was at a G League game watching Bassey and Jericho Sims be like the two focal points of the team. And look at kind of where those goes with Bassey not even making the sixth roster and Jericho Sims now looking like a, a solid rotation player on the Knicks. And like even back then they were pretty eye to eye, pretty close players, pretty identical, and they were fun to watch going at each other. So it's just kind of those little things matter when you stack them up. And to touch on the Embiid thing. I'm going down with the ship with Embiid. Like, I'm never trading this guy. And he goes beyond, like, A, just on the court. Like, I think he's that good that if as long as he's locked in and cares, like, you're never going to be that bad of a team that you're – like, he's always – you're going to have a chance every single night as long as he is on the team. And also, kind of to DJ's point, is he does embody this era of Sixers basketball more than any other player, I would argue, across any other team. Like, Joel Embiid is the process in that way. And I, I think he's, like – the way he's cared about the city of Philadelphia and been a guy who's stuck through the highs and lows, it's like you have to do that by him rather than just kind of dish on him. And I still do believe that he gives you a chance to win. So you rock with him unless he absolutely wants out of here. Yeah, remember his rookie season? Uh, he only played six or he only played three months, I think. But um, in that January, we had not a great roster around him. We had we thought Dario Sarge was great, but that's just because we went through the process and. It was the, uh, you know, whatever. We had Robert Covington, Dario Sarge, TJ McConnell, and they were tw they were 12 and 5 in January. Joel Embiid, it's, yeah, you know, you you can just put players around Joel Embiid and you, you're a winning team. So, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, don't get a twist. I don't want to trade Joel Embiid ever. Like, I, I don't want him to, I can't even imagine him in another uniform. Oh. I just, I, I'm concerned about how this team hurts. will get better. So, I think the first course of action, I agree with you guys, it, it'll it be a coaching change. You're not going to get rid of a player before you get rid of Doc Rivers. You need a new voice. Hopefully we can see kind of like a Phillies type of spark, like just a new leader. Um, but then again, the guys have to stay healthy. You know, they, they got to stay on the floor. They got to play together. And we need to see, you know, consistency. I, th I think that's what we've been asking for all year. And it hasn't been there. In other seasons, if the Sixers have gone on a losing streak, I'm like, all right, they'll get it back. Right now, I don't know what to expect. I don't know what to expect game in and game out. They can come out tomorrow and make a statement against the Bucs. Last time we played the Bucs, Doc Rivers literally came out after the game. We were shorthanded. We lost. Then he said, we're not ready to win. That is inexcusable. After game two, when you're coming in with expectations, he better make, he better make it up tomorrow. They better make it up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And I still am not like they have a chance to pick it up and increase my confidence in this team. Like there, there's once Harden returns, like I, I touched on it earlier, but I think there's something important about like 
Embiid wasn't himself to start the season. He now is. He now is that version of himself. It's now bringing Harden to this mix. Let's see what these guys look like together when they're they're both at their best because we haven't really seen that yet. We saw Harden kind of be the, the damaged version of himself last year, which was still a step forward from the guard play that we've seen in the past with Embiid. Now him looking closer to his peak. Not that I expect him to ever be that MVP level, but just looking healthy, having a little burst, a little creation ability. Embiid's never had a guy like that. So let's see what that actually can do in the playoffs and and when the postseason locks in. And there's still holes. There's still things that need to be fixed. But when Embiid and Harden are, are locked in, like this team should have a chance every single night. So I, I'm going to keep like that as my my glimmer of hope, I guess. Um, I would say prepare yourself for <laughs> Montrez Harrell guarding Giannis at the end of the third quarter tomorrow. <laughs> I, I actually could see a situation where Paul Reed comes in and, and accumulates a little bit of energy and then gets pulled. Uh, but yeah, you guys in the chat are right. You just need, you need to, you need a coaching change before anything else. I, I like, I, I agree, Sean, I think uh, Harden coming back, Harden can get the best out of a lot of players on the floor, just the way that he runs the game and just how much of a genius he is with the ball in his hands. Just a coaching change could really do a lot for this roster, and then maybe we wouldn't be looking at this roster and thinking it as bad as it is. I really think we need a new voice and a different change of just energy, man. And um, I don't know what they're waiting for. I really don't. You're, you, I, I know for one thing, we're not going anywhere with Doc Rivers. I know that for a fact. I, I know exactly what they're waiting for because when you look at the Phillies, right, they had Joe Girardi, the guy that had won World Series, but again, was it really him? They're waiting for it to go head dive into the ground and it oh i feel like it actually almost got to that point yeah, but then joel and bead resurrected it with a <laughs> a historical performance but now again like if we were to lose two of the next three or we get embarrassed say by brooklyn on tuesday like every you know the chatter is going to start because let, let's not forget not just sixers fans now but the national media who has you know influence in terms of like just spewing a lot of things out there they were saying all offseason, this team's going to be in the championship. This team's going to be. And if we're, you know, 500, 500, we're getting near the all-star break, 500. I mean, you know, they're going to wait for this thing to go. Whoop, and then for a stretch of games where everybody's not playing at all. And then, you know, hopefully that'll well, be the point where they say, boom. It's, it's, it's going to get there. It's going to get there sooner than later because, you know, like I said the other night, if Joel Embiid doesn't have a 70-point quadruple double, we lose to the Jazz. Uh, he's not going to, he's not going to 59, 11, seven and seven every game. So it's going to happen. I don't want to say I'm rooting against the 76ers, but I kind of am right now. I really, I really kind of something as well. They will not fire him until James Harden returns. You know why? Because that's going to give him a little pass. James Harden's not here. He's out. So what? Yeah. And I feel like it's been that way, you know, for a couple years now. Oh, well, Ben Simmons kind of bottomed out. Oh, well, Joel Embiid was out for two games at a heat series. So. You know, what were we supposed to do? I feel like that's been the mindset. And it's there's always some other reason as well. Yeah, no, I think that's the case too. There's always been a fall guy kind of outside Doc. Like the Simmons caught the brunt of the blame for that Hawk series. The Heat banged up and beat that hurt. Uh, so more than anybody, I think the pressure is on Doc. I think it does take a, a failed playoff series again this year for them to move on. Unfortunately, I just think that's the mindset of the organization, what I kind of expect to happen. So it did, it did feel like we were close to it with that like stretch leading up before MB just went Mongo and didn't let it happen. But unfortunately it is kind of what it is. I feel like the, the track we're heading on is, is not stopping. 
Well, I might I might go uh, outside the arena with my I might go outside the arena with my Fire Glen t-shirts when that happens and just, you know, at least at least make oh, it 10 man. grand selling t-shirts. The only hope we have now is Sean who now has the ear of Daryl Morey on Twitter. If you guys didn't see, I mean, he literally replied to Sean and knows who he is. So, um that's our only hope. Sean discussing it's, be, it's because Moore. he has a it's because he has a check mark which he did not pay eight dollars for right sean sean yeah. had the check mark before you could buy it so yeah, it's had real exactly had almost a year now so whatever exactly. but um yeah the tweet he replied to was more or less calling these sixers short and fat too so i was kind of surprised <laughs> by it as well <laughs> yeah yeah i didn't understand his joke so for those that didn't see it sean <laughs> uh tweeted the statistics on the sixers having uh say it again sean this uh what was it uh, second shortest team and fifth heaviest team. Has, yeah, has it gotten and, to and, this and, point in the season where those are the kind of stats that you're just kind of researching now? You're like, <laughs> what, is, what, are we talking about? what made you look that up? <laughs> I don't know. We had four days off. I was running out of things to, to write about. <laughs> I was curious. So, you know, what happened? Uh, so, and Daryl Morey, for everyone who didn't see, Daryl Morey replies to that tweet and made a joke and said, girth for the win. And like <laughs> made a made a joke about how, we have the slowest, shortest team in the NBA. And I was like, bro, this isn't funny. You're the, like, this is you that gave us this. I don't know. know. Unreal, man. Sean's our only hope. But, hey, uh, (laughs) shout out to everybody for coming through. It's been an hour and a half. And, and again, like I said to start off the show, this is really good therapy for me. You know, because sometimes I'm going about my day and I'm like, why are the Sixers, like, so just in a flux, like, in flux right now? And they're like, they're not fun, but they're not boring. Like they're just in the middle, you know. So coming on and talking about these things and and realizing that it's not crazy to think at this point. Like it's very nice, and and I'm sure the people out there feel the same way. And if Twitter goes down, you guys know where to find us because we're here every day and we'll always be here. So, um, yeah, it's a good it's a good therapeutic session. Um, and I definitely enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, I there was a lot of excitement coming in, and now like the general public, um. I still I still work with the public three days a week and yeah they're like wow they see they see this Sixers pendant I still wear it I, I'm not gonna hide it and they're like well, yeah that team sucks don't they or, or wow they're they're really you know they're lucky they're lucky the Eagles are doing good you know because take some of the attention off of them or whatever like yeah the general public is like wow this team is underwhelming like crazy so crazy stuff man. But, hey, appreciate you guys coming through. Once again, we are live on all three channels. Philly Take with RB, Running Back Philly, Pick Swap Media. Uh, wherever you guys are watching, drop a like. It helps out more than you know. Um, trying to make content every day and, and pumping it out when we're kind of in this stage right now, it's, you know, it gets interesting sometimes. So, you know, continue to support the shows. And and DJ and Sean, appreciate you guys coming on and definitely enjoyed this, man. Definitely enjoyed this. Thanks yeah. for having me, man. Any, any last words of hope? tomorrow do we beat the bucks how about that we'll finish off on that do the sixers pull one out and surprise everybody and and with the bucks coming in our building four days rest hopefully Embiid's getting a good nap tonight will we beat Giannis and the bucks i'm gonna go yes i'm feeling good four days of rest i think Embiid's kind of man man. Embiid going on his tear like I, that's the the my mindset is it's all more of a Joel Embiid thing than a Sixers thing at this point. If he wants to win, he'll make it happen. Let's go. 
I mean, yeah, I'm not going to say it's impossible. Any, you know, you can have a hot shooting night. I remember the Christmas. I remember the Christmas Day game against the Bucks. We beat them by 35, and we like set records with three pointers made. You could have a hot shooting night. Maxi could go off, and B could go off. You could win. But the best thing that could possibly happen is that they lose by 40 tomorrow. That's what the best thing that could happen is they lose by such an amount of points that you absolutely can't go the next day with with this coach in charge. It has to be 40 too. It can't be 25. And you got to lose by 40. One of my bold takes for the game, uh, if you guys remember last year, the time that we beat the Bucks, uh, we dominated them. It was because George Niang, Doc Rivers put George Niang on Giannis, and he was yeah. strapping him up for a whole quarter and a half. That's my hot take. <laughs> Doc Rivers at one point will go with George Niang guarding Giannis, and uh, may the best man win. But anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm picking us to lose this game. I'm um, sorry, guys. Don't be frustrated. You know, we're on a two-game win streak until I see it consistently. If they beat the Bucs tomorrow, it'll definitely change my my ideology on how I pick Sixers games. But, you know, if you could win tomorrow, I think you can beat Minnesota, who has stunk, by the way. I called that as well. Worst trade of all time. Worst trade of all time. Um, followed by another terrible trade with the Nets. So, hey, you can get this thing back on track, or you can come out tomorrow and show we're not that team against the Bucks, make it competitive. You Wait, know? I want to, I want to ask you guys a question real quick. Cause a, in the, in the chat just, just made me think of this. Cause he said, doc is unfireable. Unfortunately, what do you guys think about that? Do you think he's unfireable? I know they owe him $25 million or whatever it is. Does Third that make him, un, does, the NBA. does that make him unfireable? Like for this season or like to the end of the year? I don't know. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think know. he's unfireable. I don't, if this team bellies out at, you know, and they just, completely keep going down and down and down. I don't think he's unfireable. I think he has this season. The leash is long enough for this season, pretty much regardless of what happens. And after that, we'll see, unfortunately. Yeah, it's like one of those things, like a restaurant owner taking losses for three years before he finally sells the restaurant. Yeah, I got you. (laughs) I mean, based off if, if the fan base gets loud enough, there's no way, like, if we were to keep losing and, like, looking inconsistent and looking like we don't care, I, I think you would have to make a change at some point based off the expectations of this team. But that being said, Sixers and Bucks tomorrow night. Let's hope for a win. First of a back-to-back, actually. Uh, like I said, Timberwolves coming in and then the Brooklyn Nets. So um, important stretch. I said before the five-game home stretch, I said this stretch will tell us who the Sixers are. So far, they're 2-0. Will they keep it up tomorrow night? That is the question. Um Shout out to everybody in the chat. Once again, hit the like button, subscribe, and uh, yeah, man, stay up on the content and, and follow us everywhere. Maybe not Twitter, but you know, we'll be here on YouTube. We'll be here on YouTube. <laughs> Catch you guys tomorrow, and you all have a great night, man. Peace.